Welcome to KathleenWitten.org. We believe that Kathleen's message will inspire you, encourage you, and give you a fresh perspective on life. Now, here's Kathleen. We're continuing um, our series on waiting strengthens our faith. And we have a faith series going, and I don't know how it's going to, how long it's going to keep going, but it may be a while. But we are still at waiting strengthens our faith. And I was going to shift from that, ready to teach something a little different, but God wouldn't let me shift. And I know this is from Him because He um, did a miracle this morning. He gave us all an extra hour so that I could prepare this. Those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings as eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Isaiah 40:31 is such a powerful scripture. And it's what we've been talking about in that when we wait on God, our faith is strengthened. It's when we wait. And we talked about Abraham being someone who was given a promise from God. Just like we have so many promises from God in the Bible, and Abraham was given a promise from God, and yet God waited to fulfill that promise past the point of possibility. And so often God will wait even in our lives to fulfill a promise past the point of possibility. How do I know that? Number one, personal experience. But more importantly, the Bible says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so if he can fulfill a promise for Abraham past the point of possibility, then he can fulfill a promise for us past the point of possibility. When the doctors say it's impossible, when you feel in your heart it's impossible, when it looks impossible, when it's financially impossible, when it's not even relationally possible, when the hurt has been too great and the years have been too many, God can still fulfill His promises. And so we're going to talk about Abraham and how Abraham waited because there's something huge in the way that Abraham waited because it's more than just those who wait upon the Lord. It's not just um, waiting and pacing and patiently and mumbling and grumbling and having a miserable time while we're waiting. It's waiting in faith. And Abraham waited in faith. See, it makes a difference how we wait. And so I wanted to read these scriptures again that we looked at last Sunday, but they're so important. To look at how Abraham waited. Romans 4.18 says, Against all hope, Abraham believed Abraham believed against all hope. In the face of impossibility, Abraham believed. Romans 4.19, without weakening in his faith, faith, he faced the facts. Romans 4.20, yet he did not waver through the unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith, giving glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. So if we look at the life of Abraham, we can see how we're supposed to wait. There is specific directives as we're going through something extremely difficult in our life, or our child is going through something extremely difficult, or our spouse is going through something extremely difficult. 
When we're waiting on God, and especially if you're waiting in a situation that it looks past the point of possibility, we need to see from the life of Abraham how did he wait. Because see, God holds up Abraham as a man of faith. If you read Hebrews 11, it's like the the hall of faith wall of fame. And it just lists person after person after person as if their picture was framed and put on a hall of who God says they were faithful and they were faithful. And she was faithful and he was faithful. And Abraham's picture is up on that wall. I want my picture up on that wall one day. I want your picture up on that wall one day. And so I have to look at If I want to be a person that receives the promises of God, even past the point of possibility, if I want to walk in faith and I want to walk in strength and joy and be strengthened and so do you, and I don't want to live a life of of oppression and depression and discouragement and helplessness, but I want to live a life where I can trust God no matter the circumstances, then I need to do what Abraham did. Number one, if you look in Romans 4.18, we're pulling this out of the Scriptures. Romans 4.18 basically says, in spite of the circumstances, Abraham chose to believe God's promises. That's exactly what we need to do. First of all, we have to know them to believe them. So that's step number one. And that's why I'm so excited about the Word, and that's why I'm always like, bring your Bible, bring your Bible, bring your Bible. Because you can't believe the promises of God and live into the promises of God and stand on the promises of God unless you know the promises of God. And it never fails that... I don't share the promises of God to a group of people and I don't have people looking at me like, that's in there? So we've got to know them and then in spite of the circumstances, choose to believe them. Number two, face the facts, but refuse to let the facts weaken your faith. Face the facts, but refuse to let the facts weaken your faith. Number three, give glory to God. This will strengthen your faith. If you look at Romans 4.20, it says that Abraham did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith. How? Giving glory to God. You know, during the hardest times of my life, I have, through tears, through pain, through horrible situations, through when I had leukemia or when I had the situation with my eyes and they were going to radiate my eyes and I was in so much pain. I practically crawled to the CD player to put in praise music and didn't want to, didn't feel like it. But see, there's something about the atmosphere of praise. The Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people. And when you're in the deepest, darkest pit is when you need God to inhabit your presence. So giving praise to God actually strengthens our faith. And the number four, strong faith made Abraham fully persuaded that God would use his power to keep his promises. So number four is that we need to be fully persuaded that God will use His power to keep His promises. I mean, it's the simplest decision that you can make is just to receive the kingdom of heaven like a little child. And the Bible says that we can't even receive the kingdom of heaven unless we become a little child anyway. So the promise is 
that if I receive the kingdom of heaven like a little child, my promise back to God is, God, whatever you say, I'll believe. I just choose to trust you, no matter what the circumstances are. Well, that sounds like those hyper-faith people, Kathleen. That sounds like those people that are just unrealistic and that just walk around and sing the hallelujah chorus and don't live in, in reality. No. See, the word of God that we just read in Romans 4 says that Abraham faced the facts. Abraham faced the facts, yet did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what God had power to do, that God had the power to do what he had promised. What do I do when I'm suffering? You know, if I had told you all before you came in here, welcome, welcome, we're going to talk about suffering. That's not what we want to come and talk about, and yet it is so important. Because I think that we've been even directed wrong in thinking that we're not supposed to be suffering. There's like these two camps within Christianity. One is you should never be suffering. If you're suffering, you're doing something wrong. And the other one is that you should always be suffering. Some of you know what I'm talking about. But there is a suffering that God says will happen. And there's a good suffering. And it has to do with waiting. It doesn't feel good at the time, but I'm going to show you the results that are produced from our waiting. And waiting waiting can be very difficult. What do I do while I'm suffering? Rejoice. Romans 5, 3 and 4 says, We also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that sufferings produce perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, realistically, the last thing I want to do when I'm suffering is rejoice. And I would be an absolute liar if I stood up here and said, you know, I'm holding on and waiting on God for a promise and I'm really suffering, but I just rejoice all the time. I'm in the best mood and I never get down and I rejoice all the time. I would absolutely be a liar to do that. I have my meltdowns just like you have your meltdown and I wholly and highly recommend that you have several people in your life that you can melt down to. I do. I melted down about two days ago. But the important thing is having people in your life to bring you to the Word of God so that you're built back up, so that you can say like Abraham, I face the fact that maybe even the promises of God look like they're past the point of possibility in this situation. But I am fully persuaded that God is able to perform and has the power to do what He has promised. Because I accepted a long time ago His kingdom like a little child. And I figured out a long time ago that I'm not going to be able to figure it all out. And so I'm just going to hold on. And in the meantime, I'm going to praise God. In the meantime, I'm going to believe. And I may melt down, but I expect to be built back up with the Word of God. The good thing about this suffering and waiting is that it produces some things here in Romans 5, 3 and 4. 
And I've never been that excited about what it produced until I saw something this morning that I want to share with you. Romans 5, 3 and 4 says that we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. The perseverance produces character and character produces hope. And what I saw there this morning is that the suffering that is produced by waiting and believing God and holding God and holding on to His Word and not letting go produces the stuff that we need in us to receive the promises of God. There's two scriptures that say this. Hebrews 6.12 and James 5.11 says that in order to receive the promises of God, we have to have faith, patience, and perseverance. That's how we receive the promises. We have to have faith, patience, and perseverance. And those things are produced by waiting. I wish they weren't. I like instant things. I like, well, I don't like instant coffee, but I like quick coffee. I like things that are instant. I like things that are fast. I don't like to wait. It's painful to wait. I remember reading a book on um, how the Amish raise their children. And um, it's just kind of like the stage I went through when I had my first child and I thought I was going to make all her baby food for um, a morning. And I was reading this book about how the Amish raised their children and one thing never left me. And it means so much to me right now. And it just, I think it never left me because I thought there's got to be something to this. And it was that the Amish fathers, from when a child is very, very young and they're in that squirmy stage and they just can't sit still, will force that child to sit on his lap without moving for hours. And if he moves, he gets put right back where he was. And if he moves, he gets put right back where he was. And I thought, that's strange. And although I am not saying that that's something that we should all try, there's a principle there that that child was forced to sit still and wait. And the Bible tells us, since the Amish do, they go off of so many biblical scriptures. And I'm not saying that we all become Amish. I don't, I'm not into horses. The rest of my family is. And I'm not saying that you should go to Easy's and put your youngest child in your lap and go, be still. If you move, I'm not going to let you up. You know, because people will probably turn you in. I'm saying that there's a principle to this, and that is that when we are forced, when God forces us to sit still and wait, and we can't move, it produces character and perseverance and hope. It produces the stuff in us that we have to have to receive the promises of God. Last year, when, when my eyes went haywire, and they, don't, they still think it's probably from the chemo, they're not sure, but it was the most painful thing I've ever, ever, ever been through in my life. 
And not only was I being told confusing things, like we need to radiate your eyes right away, and all of these things, it was so painful. It was painful to keep my eyes open. It was painful to close my eyes. It was painful to put anything in my eyes. They were giving me medication that was causing my body not to be able to absorb food, and I lost 15 pounds, and I was weak, and I was tired, and I was exasperated, and I remember just crying out to God and saying, God, what is going on? Enough! I have a rod in my back. I've been in a body cast for a year. I've had leukemia. I lost all my hair. I've had chemo and now my eyes. And I know these bad things are not from you, but deliver me now. And he didn't. And I felt like that little Amish child on, on top of his father's lap because, see, I felt my Heavenly Father's arms around me. But I couldn't move. And that waiting produces the stuff in us that God needs in order for us to do whatever it is that He's called us to do. And it motivates me even as I see one of my children squirm or they're being disciplined by their father. Lacey calls me the enabler. So I'm like, oh, you know, he's tired, he's wet, he's hungry, he's happy, he's sad, he's, he wants to go outside, he wants to come inside. He's been in the car too long, he wants to get in the car. You know, every excuse I can think of as to why one of my children is throwing a fit, my youngest one. But I'm getting to a point where it's like if, if they need to wait or they need to be disciplined or they need to sit still, It's so that God can produce that character in them that will be the stuff that they need to fulfill the call that He has on their lives. See, the Bible says that we are God's workmanship, created to do the good works that were prepared before the foundation of the world. And so your child already has within him that blueprint of the plan that God has for his life. And as you see him wiggle in your lap or wiggle in the lap of God, and I'm talking about spiritually, it pains you. And it's like going before God. I remember hearing my dad, who's not a big, you know, prayer person, pray out loud, let's all gather and pray, let's sing Kumbaya. That's not my dad. Um, But I remember him just, I said, Dad, I mean, I can't see. I can't open my eyes anymore. They hurt. They burn. I mean, this is months and months and months and months. I mean, it was a good eight or nine, ten months. And he would lay on the bed and, and read me scriptures, just like Lacey would, because I said, that's the only thing that's helping right now. But I remember hearing his prayer, and it was like, God, deliver her. Because nothing hurts worse in the heart of a parent than to see your child suffering. And yet waiting produces the stuff that we need for the call that the mom and dad doesn't even know what it is. I don't even know the call completely on my life or on your life much less the call on my children's lives. 
Waiting produces the stuff. God never wastes suffering. He never wastes it. I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful that in the waiting, God never wastes it. You know, I, I so often, um, I remember suffering through certain classes, especially in college. And you know what I always thought, especially with some statistic classes that I was in and things like that? I remember thinking, I'm never going to use this stuff, ever. I remember in counting classes, I thought, and even in accounting, I'm never going to use this stuff. And Lacey would tell you that that is a true statement. I never used it again. I'm teasing. But honestly, there's a suffering in the world where we go through this stuff and we learn this stuff and we're in this waiting mode and suffering mode and we're trying to learn it. And it's, it is a wait. Some of it is a wait. I remember being in classes and, and talking. I remember I had to do some class at UT and it's kind of like you have to have a certain elective so you take some kind of class and it was some kind of a free movement um, motor skill application to young preschool children in the art world of yellow, blue rainbows or something. And so you take this class and you have no idea what you're doing anyway. You just figure that if you wear braids and no shoes, you might get an A. And you're not ever going to use it again. But see, God promises us that as we go through the school of waiting, that he will use it again. He'll use it not only in your life, but he'll use what you went through in somebody else's life. And not just once, again and again and again. Second Corinthians 1.3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our suffering, so also you share in our comfort. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we have suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure. You might want to mark that in your Bible. So that we despaired even of life. Have you ever? I have. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death, but this happened. You know, sometimes in my heart, your heart, you may be under so much pressure and so much suffering and waiting so hard on God, and it may not even be about you, it may be about your child, but it may be so bad that you despair even of life. And God is saying through the Apostle Paul, if you despair even of life, let me tell you why this is happening. One of the reasons, because God is a God of multiplicity and He always has many. But this happened, 2 Corinthians 1.9, that we may not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. 
Why would he write that? See, remember what God said about Abraham? God called the Abraham, Abraham a father of many nations and waited until Abraham was 100 years old and passed the point of possibility to even be a father. And in the book of Romans says that the God that calls those things that are not as though they were, it calls those things that are dead alive. And so we read here again in 2 Corinthians that this is the God who wants us not to rely on ourselves, but to rely on Him who raises the dead. I'm going to finish with 2 Corinthians 1.10 and 1.11. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope. And that's probably one of the most important things you could walk out of here with today. On Him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. As you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted in answer to the prayers of many. I guess I could stay there and talk about that for a long time, but I want to move on to this, and that is how can I rejoice when I'm suffering? You know, how can you possibly rejoice in the middle of the circumstances? In the middle of the most difficult period of your life, how can you rejoice? How can you rejoice? How can you rejoice when one of your children is in pain? How can you rejoice when it doesn't look like ends are going to meet? How can you rejoice when it looks like the promises that God has given you through his word in the Bible, which is the Logos word of God, or the promises that God has given you through his Holy Spirit to you directly, which are the promises from God to you, which is his rhema word, are not going to come to pass. How can you rejoice? Well, most specifically, we have to look at what we just read in 2 Corinthians 1.10. On him you have to set your hope. Not on the circumstances, not on the situation, on him. On Him. You know, honestly, if I wanted to, I could bum myself out right now. I really could. I could go and read AML statistics about how long people live after having the kind of leukemia that I had. And not only would I figure out that I was somewhat of a freak of nature, but I would figure, gosh, am I going to be here next Christmas? Maybe I should feel sorry for myself. Gosh. Maybe I should just do all the things I've ever wanted to do. and Or maybe I shouldn't even try. Or maybe I can get my mind and my eyes off of statistics, which are truth and factual, and get my eyes onto God's Word, which is the truth that sets me free from the facts that we talked about last Sunday. See, I can put my hope on God. I can rejoice in the hope of what God will do, knowing that I belong to Him and I sit in His lap and He's my dad. I belong to Him. 
We don't even need to have fear knowing that we belong to Him. And my life is in His hands. Your life, if you belong to Him, is in His hands. And nothing can snatch me away. I'm not going anywhere until He tells me that I get to go. And that's great news for me. I don't have to walk in fear. You don't have to walk in fear. Number two, how can I rejoice when I'm suffering? We can know that God promises that His hope will not disappoint. These are huge scriptures for me because I used to be the kind of person that not only was I really fearful all the time, I know I shared with you that my mom called me her what-if child because I was always like, well, what if this happens? And what if that happens? And it was always just, it went from reality to non-reality. But I remember one time when I was really little, my mom said to me, Kathleen, if you say what if one more time, you will be punished. Because I was fearful, and I always thought, what if, what if, what if? And I didn't know that I could be set free from that. And you may be here as an adult thinking, gosh, that's what I do in my mind all the time. I, 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 I'm driving in my car, and I'm thinking, what if, what if, what if? Well, we don't need to be thinking, what if, what if, what if? We need to be thinking what God wants us to think, which is the promises of God, believing Him. And, and relying on Him and trusting Him and putting our hope in Him so that even as I'm waiting and even as I'm suffering while I wait, the stuff in me and the stuff in you and the stuff in your children can be developed. That perseverance and that character and that hope can be developed for us to fully receive the promises of God, for us to fully walk into the plan that God has for our life. Jeremiah 29.11 says that God has a plan to prosper us and give us a future and a hope. John 10.10 says that, that the thief, the enemy, comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but that Jesus came that we might have life and life abundant. And so when I stand up here and I say, your life and my life is in God's hands, you know, some people look like, That's maybe not a good thing. But see, when we know the hands that hold our life, not from the way that they've been described by other people, but from the mouth of God, there's trust and there's excitement and there's hope. Because God says he doesn't have bad plans for you. He has good plans for you. God says specifically, Jesus wasn't sent to this world to judge you and condemn you and to say, I'm so sorry. You have substance abuse. You can't go to heaven. John 3.16 says that he was sent to this world not to condemn the world, but to save this world. So that we can get free. But what I love about God is that He holds me even while I'm getting free. And you know what God's done in my life? He's held me when I didn't even want to get free. He still loves us the same. That's the God that we serve. 
The reason he wants me to be free, the reason he wants us to trust him, the reason he wants us to know his promises is because the truth, which is his promises, the truth is Jesus Christ, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus says, is what sets us free. Not the stuff that's been said about God through tradition or through people's opinions or through their own circumstances. I was telling someone the other day, they were talking about a situation in their life with someone very dear to them who'd been through quite a bit. And this person said, you know, he's angry. I don't think he'll ever serve God. He just has this idea of God just is out to get him. And he just has a circumstantial religion. And I said, you know what? If I had a circumstantial religion, I would be an atheist. And so would a lot of you in this room. But what I've seen is that when we have a circumstance that's difficult in our life, but we have a God who's bigger than the circumstance and who calls those things that are not as though they were and who makes things that are dead be risen from the dead and who is not contained and restrained by fact because he is truth and truth is above fact and truth changes fact. Then I'm excited. And again and again and again in my life, God has done that. And it's not because I'm some great faith person. It's because I'm a kid at heart. If God says it, then it has to be true. And all i got to do is hold on until it happens. And that's what we're talking about this morning, is holding on and waiting and waiting until it happens. I want to read some scriptures about not being disappointed because I told you that when I was little I was full of fear, but I also had this pervasive feeling, even as an adult, that I was going to be disappointed. Like if things were going too well, then disappointment was just around the corner or that God was always going to kind of disappoint me. And I want you to see these and and keep these scriptures because they're important. Psalm 22, verse 5, in the second part, says, In you, God, they trusted and were not disappointed. Isaiah 49, verse 23, says, Those who hope in me will not be disappointed. Romans 9, 33, says, The one who trusts in him will not be disappointed or put to shame. Sometimes we fear disappointment and shame. They go hand in hand. Romans 10.11 says, As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be disappointed or put to shame. And I think it's important there that we look at something really quickly. And I, and I know now I am going to have to continue this next Sunday. I was hoping not to. But there's a temporal disappointment and there's an ultimate disappointment. And... When I was talking about there being sometimes two camps of Christians, one who says you should never suffer, and if you're suffering, you're doing something wrong. If you're waiting on God and and it hadn't happened yet, then you're just not having the right faith or you're doing something wrong. There are groups of Christians that believe that way. But then there's the polar opposite group of Christians that says you should always suffer 
believing God and following God is about suffering. You should never have any fun. Nothing good's going to happen in this life. And we're just waiting to be taken to heaven. Come and suffer with us at our church. <laughs> and then there's our friends who are like, hmm, come and suffer with you at your church or go golfing. That's a tough one. I'm not sure which one to choose. Come and suffer at your church or go to the ranch. Hmm. God says he wants us to wait on him because he's going to have an answer exceedingly abundantly above all you could have, hope or ask or think or pray. See, I, when I pray, that's Ephesians 3.20, by the way. When I pray, I say, God, here's my prayer. But see, I already know that you're going to do exceedingly above all I could hope or ask or think. So you just do that. And see, sometimes for God to do that, he's got to get other people into position and get them ready. Or he has to get a situation ready. He may have to get a building ready. He may have to get a corporation ready. He may have to get a person's heart ready. He may have to get you ready. And what's that going to be? What's the result of God having to do that? Well, one result is that you're going to have to wait. And so in the waiting for him to do exceedingly abundantly above all you could hope or ask or think, it's easy to feel temporarily disappointed. But that's not ultimate disappointment. God says that if we trust in him, we will not be disappointed. He says it like five times in the Word of God. How many of you know if God says something once, He means it? What is He trying to say if He says something five times or six times? He's trying to say, I mean it. If you trust in Me, you will not be disappointed. And I know some of you are saying, well, that's only in heaven, Kathleen. That's what he's talking about, heaven. Heaven, heaven, this is another sermon on heaven. Well, heaven's great and heaven's wonderful. And I'm excited to go there. I'm excited to have Jesus or I wouldn't be going there. But that's not what this is talking about. And I want to read you one more scripture and we'll close with this. Psalm 27, verse 13 and 14 in the Amplified Bible says, What would have become of me had I not believed and expected that I would see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living, wait and hope for and expect the Lord. Be brave and of good courage and let your heart be stout and enduring. Yes, wait for and hope for and expect the Lord. God's Word is saying, what would become of us? if we did not believe and expect God's goodness in the land of the living. God's miracles are for today. I mean, we're not going to need miracles in heaven. God's answers are for today. But sometimes we have to wait. And we have to trust and we have to believe like that little child. And I know that God so often has had me on his lap and he has held me and held me 
and not let me move. And I've tried to squirm and I've tried to get down. And I've tried to say, God, I can't do this anymore. And I've despaired even of my life. And you may be here this morning feeling exactly that way. But God says, don't give up your hope in Him. And don't let go of the promises of God. Because the one who promised is faithful to fulfill. The one who promised is faithful. Even when I'm not. Even when you're not. Heavenly Father, I just thank you this morning. We rejoice in you. We thank you that as we rejoice in you, you fill the atmosphere of this room. We just praise you for all that you've done in our lives. Forgive us, Lord, for not being thankful for all that you've already done, for all the things that you've done in our lives that we haven't deserved, for our children, for our friends, for the memories that we've had, for the parents that we've had. We all have different things that we have to be thankful for, God. And God, I just pray for anyone that's in a situation today that just looks hopeless, where they're despairing even of their own life, where your promises look past the point of possibility. And I ask, God, that you would put a spirit of Abraham in them, that they would face the facts and yet be fully persuaded that what you have promised you are also able and willing and desiring to fulfill. God, I ask that you would give them the grace to sit in your lap and not move. That you would give them the power to believe. That you would make them stout-hearted. That you would give them a forehead of flint like you gave the prophets. To not ever think on anything other than the truth of your word. Father, we would despair unless we would have believed that we would see your goodness in the land of the living. And God, I just ask that you would continue to teach us to wait, that you would strengthen our faith. And I just pray in the name of Jesus that every single person here, no matter the age, would live into the calling and the plan and the destiny that God has for each one of us. And that you would find us faithful enough to do so. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that you've enjoyed Kathleen's message. To order a copy of this and other messages, please call us in San Antonio, Texas at 210-822-5500 or toll free outside the San Antonio area, 877-397-7773. That's 1-877-397-7773. Visit our website, KathleenWitten.org, K-A-T-H-L-E-E-N-W-H-I-T-T-E-N.org. Thank you.